episode 178 of the Pie Out the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Point. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. My name is Alexis Bent. I'm from Whistler, British Columbia, and I'm a commercial pilot currently working on my multi-IFR rating on a TA-42. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today's podcast is with Pilot Alexis. Pilot Alexis flies in Canada and find out how a family tragedy has turned Alexis into going full fledged into the aviation world and doing some great things up in Canada. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. This intro is going to be short. I have lost my voice a little bit. You might be able to tell, but this was a great interview and I was so thankful, Alexis, for coming on and sharing her story and being open and talking about what she went through and how she's overcome that to to become the best pilot that she can possibly be and carry on the family legacy of pilots. Aviation, I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Like I said, if you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us at Pilot the Pilot on Instagram and check out Pilot's Coffee, the best coffee in the travel industry. You can find that at Pilot's Coffee on Instagram or www.pilotscoffee.com. Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. So without any further ado, here's Pilot Alexis. Alexis, what is going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you for having me. No problem. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, this is uh, the second time we did this part, but uh, the second time will be even better than the first time, right? I am better at flying than I am with technology, I promise. <laughs> it's all good. It's not your fault at all. Don't worry about it. Who uses Skype anymore, right? Yeah, I guess actually flying is more technology related these yeah. days. So, Well, cool. Well, get, well, the first question I ask everyone is uh, just why aviation? Why uh, do you find yourself intrigued by it? Why did you even start flying in the first place? Well, it was my dad who inspired me to start flying. I never... Um, I never really planned on being a pilot. I went to university and did a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and a minor in pre-law because I thought um, law was the route that I wanted to take. Um, but yeah, he sort of nudged me in the direction of flying. He said that there were lots of jobs and um, you don't work in an office and he loves his job. So it, so it, um, yeah, it rubbed off on me. <laughs> Well, how did you go from pre-law and uh, kind of university in that track to becoming a pilot? Well, I'd actually just written the LSAT um, and I was home for the summer and I was applying to law schools and um, my dad was getting ready for a flight to South Korea and he couldn't tie his tie anymore. And he asked me for help and I knew that something was obviously very wrong. Um, And then that same day he was diagnosed with brain cancer so I put everything on hold and I stayed home for a year, which is what he was given by the doctors. And um, during that year, I decided to try flying. And um, it was a way for us to connect. And obviously, he lost his medical that day as well. So um, it was a good way for us to sort of bond. And um, it turned out I loved it. So it, it was really sort of um, turning lemons into lemonade for, yeah. for me. I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, I'm sure he loved it too, being with you and sharing that time and seeing you prosper into a career that he wanted you to to give it a shot, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, um, I, I can't imagine spending that year any differently. I really got to know him on a different level, seeing um, his passion and learning from him. It was amazing. 
So what was it about aviation that kind of intrigued you? Because you said he, he wanted you to, to think about aviation in the past. There's a lot of jobs. It's a great career. It's not behind a desk. You don't have to do all the crazy nine to five life that you have. What was it that kind of intrigued? Was it just being up flying? Was it uh, being around the machines, not having a true office? What was it that intrigued you? Um, well, I know what didn't intrigue me was <laughs> I thought that you couldn't have a meaningful career as a pilot. I thought you'd just be a glorified bus driver. You wouldn't be able to make a meaningful impact in someone's life, um, which obviously I was super wrong about that. And um, his illness sort of made me see that there is a huge, huge range of, of areas that pilots can, can get into, like from search and rescue to, you know, firefighting to um, medical transport. Like it's not just just travel that, you, that you're doing. Um, and I think that really appealed to me. Yeah. And um, that sort of led me to so many different avenues. And, and that really appealed to me. So when you kind of made the decision to, to go the flying route, did you have a goal in mind? Were you, were you like, I want to do something other than fly, maybe for a commercial airline, or I want to try to make a difference in the world? Or do you want to be a commercial pilot and a commercial fly for an airline and do that on the side? Well, um, kind of near the end of his illness, I learned about a charity called Hope Air. And uh, what they do is they fly um, Canadians and financial need to their medical appointments. So a lot of these people live in rural areas and um, they need vital medical care in, in bigger cities. So it's super expensive. Everyone thinks that our medical care is free. Um, and it's, it is, but it's not for accommodation and travel and all that. Um, so that was something that opened my eyes to, to this area where, where pilots can really help. And I think that's, that's definitely something I want to do. Um, that I started volunteering with them and, I do still want to work in the airlines, but um, as you know, airline pilots get a fair bit of time off sometimes. Um, so I think that's definitely my calling. I want to do both. Yeah, we have, I think it's called Angel Flight here, where we kind of transport. You can use your own plane, you can rent a plane, uh, and you can make those flights in the States as well. You can fly to care, from care, and uh, it's all donated hours, and either the, the plane owner pays for it, or there's a charity behind it that helps pay for it as well. But that's definitely, that's awesome. Um, it's definitely commendable, and I, it's definitely needed. I'm sure they need more pilots because uh, unfortunately people get sick and people need to be transported. And it is very, very expensive, like you said. And not anyone can just afford to go on an airplane or get a private jet to go take them where they need to go. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's amazing how they have the same version of of um, like Hope Air and Angel Flight. It's, it's all, it's, all um, it's really cool. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, it definitely is. Talk a little bit about the differences in training. So you obviously were preparing for a very difficult career and one that's really hard to get into and very, very stressful. Uh, taking the LSAT, going the lawyer route, uh, and now the pilot route. Have you seen a lot of similarities in preparing you for these tests or do you think one is easier than the other? Um, well, it's funny you should ask that. I, <laughs> I just wrote my um, in route written and I kind of had the same approach to it as when I was writing the LSAT because the wording can be really tricky with Transfer Canada exams. Um, and it's all multiple choice. So, um, yeah, it's, that's funny. It's kind of similar how you deal with those written. But, um, no, I mean, I think they're both really competitive fields. And I think you um, have to be a little bit cutthroat at times. Um, obviously, both require a lot of studying. 
But um, yeah, the whole office thing, I don't think would have been for me. <laughs> <laughs> so your dad was right then the whole time, right? Oh, he was, he was totally right out. I would never admit it, but yeah, he, he knew me better than I knew myself. <laughs> Sometimes dads know that. You just got to listen to him even though it's hard, right? Definitely. Yeah. Well, talk about your training for aviation. Uh, there's a lot of people that, that decide they want to become a pilot and they don't know where to start. Was it similar for you or did you really rely on your dad for that information of where to go and how to get everything started and start flying? Um, you know, I kind of have a bit of not regret. I, I don't really regret anything about my journey because I think um, I ended up exactly where I needed to be. But we just sort of looked up local flight schools in the area. Um, and in hindsight, obviously, I wish I started a lot sooner. Had I known in high school what I wanted to do, I would be a lot further along. But um, I think there's there's a lot of awesome flight schools that kind of put you on a path that is streamlined. And I took my sweet time in getting my, my licenses. And obviously, I lost my dad during my private license. So that, that took a while to recover from. Yeah. Everyone, so everyone faces their own kind of battles in training and, and some, uh, like in your instances are, are more personal and can definitely just really set you back. And for good reason, like when you lose a parent, when you lose a loved one, it's, it's okay to take time off. And I think it's important to, to understand that your path doesn't need to be compared to someone else's path. You are kind of going at your own rate. You're making your own journey. And we're all going to get to the end destination and it's okay if it takes you an extra six months, an extra year, an extra two years or whatever it may be because we're all, you're going to get to the end goal eventually. And it's about the process. It's about the journey and becoming the best pilot you can possibly be. Yeah, you're so right about that. Everyone, you know, it's hard not to compare yourself to others. I'm a super competitive person and um, I'm always pushing myself to get things done, but you can't control a lot of what affects your aviation journey, like the pandemic, for example, or you know, a lot of schools closed and Transport Canada closed. And um, yeah, so no matter how hard you want to be moving forward, sometimes it's just out of your power. Um, but yeah, I think that's something really important. Yeah, and that adversity that you face is going to make you a better pilot. If you face no adversity at all, airlines or anyone else, they're going to be kind of raising their eyes because they don't know how you're going to react in tough situations. But if you are, are proven to be able to to kind of like overcome difficulties, it's just going to make you a better pilot. And I'm not saying that that's a that I'm glad that stuff happened or anything like that, but it definitely prepares you for adversity and and shows that you you are able to overcome and and get the job done. Absolutely. So first training lesson was it everything you ever thought it was going to be? Getting up on the plane for the first time, intro flight with your instructor. What was going through your mind? I just remember being so overwhelmed. First thing that came to mind was there are so many buttons in this plane. <laughs> and it was just a 172, which is funny now because I, when I first got in the DA-42, I remember thinking there's so many buttons. You'll think so that in every airplane still you feel that into. Way. Yeah. <laughs> were yeah, you nervous? Were you afraid of flying at all? Or were you, did you know you were going to like it? No, no, there's not much that scares me. I've never really been afraid of anything, but um, I did feel like I was never going to get the hang of it. Was that because you didn't think you'd ever have the skills for it? Or did you just think that it wasn't for you? Yeah, I just doubted myself. I didn't think it was something that I was capable of doing. And um, that's when my, my dad, he was actually there for my first um, intro flight, um, sitting in the back. And he didn't say anything because he just wanted me to figure things out on my own. But he, um, yeah, at the end, he just said, the instructor, he's like, so 
she have good hands and feet? And the instructor said, yeah, I think we'll make a pilot out of her. And I did not feel that way. <laughs> That's very common though. I mean, I, there are so many lessons, even after when I was in my private pilot training, even after I've been flying for like 10 or 20 hours, I'd have a lesson where I just didn't think I could do it anymore. And I doubt myself and be like, can I really do this? So that is very common for, for a new pilot to think, or even a seasoned pilot. Every once in a while, you're just kind of a bad flight where you're like, what the heck was that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm glad everyone feels that way. Yeah. If, I, if they're if they say they haven't, then they're lying to you, and you need to be careful and watch out. <laughs> no one's born yeah. knowing how to fly. No, it's definitely a learned skill, and uh, the the more practice you have, the better you're going to be. And it's a constant game. You got to make good decisions at all times, and always be on your toes, and never really be comfortable in thinking like I'm the best pilot. That's when you're at most danger. Is when you when you think and you know you're the best. That's so right. Yeah, that's so true. So after your first flight and you kind of had a, you were a little wary. You didn't know if you could do this. Did your dad give you a pep talk? Did your instructor give you a pep talk? Did you just trust them that they knew what was best and that you could do this? What was the thought process in continuing? Yeah. um, Well, I think because I'm so competitive, I I kind of knew that I had to keep going um, just for myself. I I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And um, it's always been like that. It's always been really rewarding. Um, obviously, you have a series of smaller tests leading up to your bigger exams, and every time I passed one of those, it was it was um, like a little achievement that I, I wanted more of. So I just kept kept going. What was the hardest part of your training? <laughs> Probably taxing. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Steering with your feet. I'm not very good on the ground. I'm not the best driver either. So. <laughs> When I first started flying, I would uh, move the yoke left and right to, to taxi and like, just not because I knew it, not because I thought it'd turn left and right, but I was just so used to driving that it just, it's ingrained my, in you. yeah, I would just do the same thing. My instructor would laugh and be like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm just making sure the control locks out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. So just use that excuse if you ever need to. I'm just doing wind input. Yeah, exactly. I'm just diving <laughs> away from the wind. Come on, man. Drop my back. <laughs> When did you have an idea that you could do this? When was like the first time it clicked in your brain and you're like, yes, I can be a pilot or I am a pilot or this is what I want to do? Oh, my first solo. Really? 100% my first solo. It felt like I'd just stolen someone's airplane. I felt so unqualified, but I just loved it. It was such a rush and I thought this is where I'm meant to be. What did, what did you do to come over the fear of feeling unqualified? Because there's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of questions that you kind of going through your mind right before you take off on your first solo. What did you do to overcome those? Um, I survived my first solo. <laughs> Just go for it. After I walked away from the plane, I felt qualified. What, uh, did you have any bad landings or they, or were they pretty good? Oh my goodness. I've, I've had so many bad landings and um, it ruins my day. It really does. I still have bad landings. It ruins my day. I had one last weekend and I have been thinking about it ever since. That's really funny. That's good. That The competitiveness is definitely in you and that makes you want to strive for more. <laughs> oh, I hate bad landings. Well, what about when you were doing your solo? Were they good landings? Did you have adrenaline that pushed you through? They were pretty flat. Um, yeah, they were pretty flat landings, but I mean, they weren't terrible. They weren't rough. And uh, I was really nervous. My dad was watching. And his best friend was there. My whole family was there, actually. It was oh, a really big moment. Oh, pressure. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, um, my dad was in hospice at the time. So he only had, I think he passed away a month later. 
Um, and he lost his eyesight at, at that point. So he was in a wheelchair and he only had his, his, um, hearing. And so I made sure that he could hear the wheels chirping on the pavement. And, um, yeah, I was really nervous. I think just because I knew he was, he was watching or judging me. <laughs> I'm sure that was such a, a powerful day for him to, to see and to hear and, and just to be there and just to, to kind of enjoy that moment with you and see you succeeding. And because and, soloing is such a big step and, and flying, going up there in your first time, like I said, it's like overcoming so much fear of like doubt in your brain and no relying on your instructor anymore. It's just you in the airplane and knowing that you were able to do that. I'm sure that was a very powerful moment for him. And for yeah, you too. it was emotional for sure. I, people never forget their first solos, but I think especially for me, that will always be, no matter what happens in my career, that's always going to be the most important day that I've ever had just because it was the last sort of milestone that he saw. And I think the most important one for a lot of pilots, for, for me especially. Yeah. Did you give any tips before you, before you took off? Um, I think he just told me to, to be calm. He used to always say, baby, navigate, communicate. Um, that was his big thing. So obviously in your solo, you don't really have to do that too much. But um, I I was pretty stressed. <laughs> <laughs> As you should have been. Yeah, everyone's stressed. Yeah. Going back to, to you picking a flight school, you kind of wish that you would have started earlier. And I think that's a very common, common thought in a lot of pilots' minds. But what made you choose the flight school you did choose? Was it uh, you felt more most comfortable there? You liked the airplanes? They promised you you'd get done in time? What was kind of the deciding factor? Um, it was a small kind of mom pa flight school. Um, like they know your name and it's not, it's not a big international flight school like a lot of them are in the city. And that kind of appealed to me. Um, and I wasn't in a rush to get it because at the same time I was full time at, at home trying to spend time with my dad and help out with his care, which was full time. It was, it was, um, a, quite a bit of work. Um, so, yeah, I, was, I wasn't in a rush to get it done. But then moving on into my commercial, I definitely had more of a sense of urgency to finish. So I, I bought a plane, a 172, to get my hours done. And um, I think for that phase of flight, I really wish I had moved to um, sort of a bigger, busier school in the city. So you bought an airplane, though? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. That's um, awesome. I think one of the, one of the best decisions I've ever made, you learn about maintenance and just the whole aspect of plane ownership. It's incredible how much more you learn. Yeah. Talk about that process because a lot of people are always told in their training, like sometimes it's best for you just to go buy a 152 or a cheap airplane or, or just an airplane in general and just go up and do it. And everyone kind of laughs at it or just thinks, yeah, that would be cool. But like you actually did that. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. You have to be really smart with how much you're spending, I think as well, because, um, Every hour that I fly, I put a certain amount of money into an account for maintenance so that I'm not stuck with a huge bill when I take it in for an annual or a 50 hour, um, or just to account for, you know, stuff goes wrong, stuff breaks on these old planes. It's a 1973 M model, so it's old. And, um, I think you have to be really careful about what you're getting into. I never, I never sacrifice safety. I'm always, up to date on my maintenance and um, keep track of everything. Uh, when I bought the plane, I knew who it was coming from and it had spent its whole, well, most of its life 
um, in the town that I was flying in. So um, I knew the guy. It wasn't like I was blindly buying something that I didn't know anything about. So it was, I think you have to be really careful about what you're getting. Oh, for sure. And buying a plane is, can be very, very interesting process. Did you know, was this like the one plane that just kind of worked out perfectly and this is what you wanted? Or was it a long search trying to find the perfect plane for you? No, I got really lucky. I actually don't know anything about plane shopping. I wouldn't be very good at it, I don't think. <laughs> um, it just came available two weeks after my after I got my private license. Um, and it was a 172, exactly what I'd been training on for my private. So it just made sense to, to get into that. It was exactly the same plane. Um, safe, reliable. That was that was definitely the right choice for me. Did you know you wanted to buy a plane for most of the time to, to build your time and to go flying in? Or was it like you said, just right place, right time, and it was a good situation? Yeah, I didn't know. I never, I never thought about it. And then um, I always thought having a plane was wildly expensive, which it is. But um, the actual price of the plane was, you know, cheaper than most cars. So that kind of took me for a surprise. And it's the maintenance that's expensive. But that's all manageable if you save and um, plan for it. Which is easier so said than was, done, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure there's sometimes you go fly and you're like, I don't really want to pay $100 on this account right now and I could just go do something else, but I should. Yeah, exactly. What has, so now that you're in your commercial and you're flying a DA-42, have you kind of been, you've seen a bigger and better plane than a 172. Are you, do you want to sell that airplane to move on or are you always going to keep that airplane and have it as your like daily driver, essentially? Oh, I don't think I'll ever sell it. I, I know everyone says 172s are like bathtubs and they're boring, but I love that plane. I'll take a 172 and, uh, gladly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. I still take it places. I landed on the beach the other day, and um, I take it into grass strips. And um, yeah, I, I, I think you could do a lot in a 172. So you mentioned that you do the, what, what's the exact word? Is it Hope Air? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Hope Air. What, talk a little bit about how that's played a role in, in your training, building hours, and kind of building confidence for you being a pilot. So I went on my first expedition with them in 2019, right after I got my private license. And it was a journey from Vancouver, British Columbia to Fairbanks, Alaska, which was an epic journey. It's the one in a life, once a lifetime opportunity to, to do a flight like that. And, um, along the way, we stopped in a bunch of remote communities and spoke to patients who have flown with Hope Air. And it was really emotional for me because I met a bunch of of clients of Hope Air who were going through illnesses like what my dad went through. And we were really lucky that, um, like, I kind of saw a side of what they went through having to commute from Whistler to Vancouver where he was receiving his cancer treatment. But um, a lot of these people aren't able to, you know, pay for accommodation next to their hospitals. And um, I met a girl who, she had leukemia and she was traveling from Quinell to Vancouver, which is quite quite the distance. And she would have had to miss a year of school for all the traveling that she was doing. She would have been put back a year. Um, so Hope Air actually allowed her to get to and from treatments in a timely manner so she wasn't having to miss so much class. And I think, I don't know, it, it just it broke my heart hearing that, you know, this happens to, to young people and, and Hope Air is able to 
makes such a such a difference and I, I just never realized that so um just the ability that pilots have to help people I think is what really really um blew my mind on that first expedition and that's kind of when I knew like this is a way that I can give back and it's got so much meaning to me having been through what I've been through absolutely um, and it, it really yeah. goes to show you I mean you know this and every everyone says they know this but when you when you experience it personally just how life is not fair how like bad things happen to good people and you just can't explain it and it's really unfortunate and knowing that you have the opportunity to make a difference or make a really terrible time in someone's life just a little bit better uh, and, and try to improve their quality of life and try to improve their situation has to just be very meaningful and, and just so powerful Yes. Yeah, that's so true. But talk a little bit about that, uh, that amazing flight and that once in a lifetime opportunity that you had, um, from, from the beginning to the end, uh, planning the journey and everything. Yeah. So, um, well, the charity itself sort of, they've got chief pilots on the expedition and they sort of plan out the route. And, um, we were more there as just like volunteer flight crew to support them. And, um, I think, I think exploring your own country is so amazing. I learned a lot about, I've lived in Canada my whole life. I was born here and I, I didn't know a lot about um, these smaller towns. So that was really eye-opening. And the whole aspect of how our healthcare is free, but not really, that, that blew my mind as well. Um, and then this time around for this expedition, we're going from, we're, we're keeping it within Canada. We're not going to the States this time, but we're going from Vancouver to Hudson Bay. And um, it's going to be the same idea. But with COVID, um, I think a lot of people need to remember that that hasn't stopped all these other treatments. Like it hasn't stopped cancer, or diabetes, or, um, you know, all the other illnesses that need treatments and appointments. So that's kind of going to be our main focus this time around. Um, and we're still going to meet with patients, but it's obviously not going to be as intimate um, with the pandemic. But um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to learning more um, and seeing how the pandemic has affected these smaller towns. When is that flight going to take off? Um, it takes off at the end of August. What are you doing to prepare for that? To make sure like everything, are you, are you calling airports ahead of time? Do you have to set up these, these meetings uh, on your own and kind of make sure that you're doing it safe and within the guidelines? Or like you said, does your chief pilot uh, help you out with that? Does the organization help with that? Well, our um, our whole timeline actually has shifted a couple of times with um, the plan and our destination has, has switched as well. Now it's pretty set in stone. We're going from Vancouver to Hudson Bay, but um, it's very fluid, obviously, as they had to be. I just am glad that they didn't have to cancel the expedition. I don't think anyone knows. No one can predict the future with how things are going. So um, but the charity is sort of organizing all of that stuff. And it's, it's very dynamic at, at the moment, but they're really good at at um, adjusting as things have to go, but we're not stopping in any major cities. Uh, we all have to be vaccinated. Um, so we're doing everything in our power to keep the crew safe and to keep um, the clients safe who we're going to be meeting with. But I'm just so glad that we're able to, to do it this year because there hasn't been any fundraising um, for the past two years. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys are too. So so talk a little bit about the, the overall goal of the flight and, and how you're going to make that happen and, and, and get it done. So we have a lot of donors with, with the expedition. It's called the Give Hope Wings Expedition. And um, so companies can donate to have their 
um, brands on the plane. Like we have stickers on the planes and then obviously we're stopping in a lot of different cities along the way. So there's a lot of exposure for them. Um, we have people who can participate on the actual flight itself and, and buy a ticket, so to speak, to, to participate on the expedition. And then, of course, we like appeal to, to donors along the way um, on social media. And that's sort of my role. I'm trying to reach out to a bunch of people and I'm going to document the trip um, and just sort of spread the word. Um, so we're raising awareness and we're also raising funds. I think the, the goal, the target for this trip is $400,000. So that'll hopefully, um, I think they say it's around $1,000 uh, per, per flight. So that's, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be really good to, to raise those funds. That's awesome. And then those $400,000 go directly into the organization to help put on more flights for more sick passengers, right? Yes. Yeah. Every dollar goes to funding, funding flights for, for the patient. And what are the requirements to, so say someone's listening to this in Canada right now and they want to get involved, what are the requirements for a pilot to, to get involved and to fly? Do you just have to have your private in an airplane or access to an airplane? Do you have to get vetted, kind of fly with the chief pilot? What's the process look like? Yeah, you definitely have to get vetted. I think the minimum hour requirement is 400 hours. Um, and if you are donating your own plane, it obviously has to meet certain maintenance criteria. And um, Yeah, so I think 400 hours is like the bare minimum. Most most of these pilots are very, very experienced. So that's definitely one of my goals. I would love to to do that um, moving forward once I accumulate more hours. I'm definitely on my way there. But um, yeah, it's it's a process, but as you would want it to be, they definitely, you want your pilots to be vetted. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Especially when you're flying very special cargo and making sure they get there safely. And at that point, it's more than just showing someone in aviation. You need to make sure the whole experience, the turbulence, the ride, you really have to be a professional pilot and make sure that it's as, as good as possible for them. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure this is a lot of their first times in small airplanes. So they're probably a little bit nervous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I can't imagine flying for the first time for a lot of these people in a smaller craft and then also going to appointments would be nerve wracking as well. So let's go back to your story a little bit. Um, you have your private, you took that. What was the next step for you? In Canada, did you go private commercial or do you do private instrument commercial? What does that look like? Yeah, so we do our private and then we do our commercial. And then, um, although some people do their instruments, uh, before that, but um, the way I'm doing it is my private commercial and then multi-IFR um, and then hopefully someone will employ me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you have plans to be a flight instructor or are you going to try to go the, the commercial route and find someone to skip the CFI route? Oh, uh, no, I, I don't think being a flight instructor is in my cards. I just, it's not really something I'm super passionate about teaching other people. I had a hard enough time teaching myself. So. <laughs> What in Canada, what are the options if you don't want to go CFI? Like what's the, the most common way to build your time? Um, well, I think it depends if you get your, if you don't get your multi-IFR, then you can do tours, like scenic tours and um, just small single engine operations. But if you get your multi-IFR, you can do, um, well, actually here in BC, uh, float plane work is a big thing. And um, if you get your multi-IFR, you can do small regional carriers or just local flights as a FO. So that's sort of 
the route I'm wanting to go. I think eventually I want to go into airlines, so I'd love to get some multi-time. Absolutely. I mean, getting your seaplane rating and flying that and then going to the airline sounds like a dream, right? Yeah, actually, I just got a float plane scholarship, so I'm going to start that next week. But I don't know if I want to work in floats forever. I don't know. I heard people catch that bug and they just love to do it and they just keep falling and make it happen. Exactly. Yeah. It's so true. When it comes to your retirement planning, how's the ride? You see, there's a big difference between saying someday you're going to have enough money to retire and having a plan in place so you can retire confidently. That's why RAA offers retirement consultations with their financial advisors where they'll answer your most pressing questions, provide personal assessments of the key areas you need to master now, and deliver actionable next steps to help you plan your course. Most importantly, you'll have a clear picture of your current financial life and understand the factors that can help you achieve the retirement of your dreams. So when someone asks you, how's the ride during retirement, you'll answer with a confident, smooth. Meet with an RAA financial advisor specializing in your airline for a free consultation at raa.com backslash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. Aviation's funny because you have an idea of what you want to do. And a lot of people just skip the whole process of aviation. They just go to flight school, they become a CFI, and they go to the airlines and it's done. That's all they do. But other people who have the idea of being an airline pilot... And they want to see what's into the industry. They want to either go aerial survey or they go the, the general aviation route and they, they build their time and they get kind of straight away from the airline because they just have so much fun flying seaplanes, flying tailwheel, aerobatics, uh, firefighting, whatever it may be. You, if, if you're open to so much stuff, you might be able to find something that maybe you won't make as much money as an airline pilot, but your just life will be more fulfilled, I would say. And that's not to say that airline pilots don't have a fulfilling career. I'm not trying to say that, but you can find more fun in aviation than just putting your head down and going straight from CFI or from zero to CFI to airline pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, having my float rating will really open doors for, for Hope Air as well, because there's a lot of remote coastal communities. So I was sort of hoping with that rating, I would be able to fly to coastal communities and then into cities um, with them for that. So. Don't know if I'll necessarily work in full planes, but I'll definitely use it to volunteer. Hey, you never know. Um, talking about your commercial rating right now, that which is what you're going for, right? Um, I just got my commercial. So you just got your commercial. So talk yes. about differences between commercial and private. Was it way harder than you imagined? Did private really <laughs> kind of get you ready for it? And talk a little bit about that. Well, you know what's funny? This is this is kind of crazy, but um, I was planning on doing my commercial like pretty streamlined because I had a plane and I I just thought I could smash out the hours and get it done because it's really not that different. It's just the margins are a little bit more strict for for the flight test and the written exam is is a lot of content. But anyhow, um, so I wrote this article about my dad um, shortly after I got my private and it ended up going viral. And then I got contacted by a producer from The Bachelor. Yeah, which is hilarious because I guess it was um, Pete was the bachelor. And he's a pilot, so they thought like this story would parallel um, his because our dads both flew the seven eight seven. This is what the producer told me, and um, I didn't know anything really about it. Um, so that ended up taking my entire summer. And living in BC, the summer is when you get all your flying hours because our weather is so unpredictable in the winters. Um, so. That first year was kind of a write-off. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, and looking back, it was, if I have one regret, I think that might be it. So did um, you actually, 
or did you go on The Bachelor or kind of explain that a little bit? I had this huge fear of ruining my reputation as one would. I think most people probably yeah. worry about that. Um, I had worked so hard to get where I was and I'd been through so much and, and it definitely didn't really align with what my dad's values would be. And I knew that they would want to tell his story and um, I was really protective over it. Um, yeah, so I, I hesitated for the longest time with the paperwork and I flew it to LA twice to meet with the producers. And um, and then I went back for the filming week um, and they kind of hold, like you stay in a hotel for a week, they take your phone and everything away. So I had no idea what was going on. And then I had some interviews and I think they could tell in the interviews that I was super hesitant and um, it was not <laughs> nothing I would normally apply for. Um, I don't really watch the show religiously or anything. Um, so the day that they started filming, they told me that my, my paperwork didn't, they didn't have time to process it because I just waited too long. And I think it was a bit of a, a, a blessing. Um, I didn't know how to feel about it at the time because I, I wasn't even sure if it was something that I really wanted to do. I thought it'd be, you know, a good platform to, and this is what the producer told me too. It's like a, a great platform for women in aviation and it's a good platform for the charity that you care about. So, and you might find love along the way. <laughs> So I thought, you know, it'd be good. Um, but yeah, when I went home, I I had a really hard time reading some of the stuff that was being said online. So I think I think that was probably probably a blessing. I don't have a thick skin. Um, what could have been, but, right? <laughs> yeah, what could have been. I don't know. I never ended up meeting him. So I heard he was a nice guy. I um, interviewed Pilot Pete a couple of weeks ago, and it's up on. Uh, so you should listen to it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I totally should. That's so um, funny. That is hilarious. I, um, yeah, but the, my point being is that that took up a huge amount of time that I didn't account for. So going back to, you just can't try to rush your training because things happen out of the blue. <laughs> Perfect example of something that happened out of the blue. And yeah. I, um, and of course you have to see that out. Like that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. They reach out to you. Like you've got to do its due diligence and you got to see if it's right for for yourself and your values and, and what you kind of want out of life. And obviously well, they, yeah. they tell you it's good for you, but they only want you for that story so they can sell exactly. it. You know, it's like they are looking out for you, but they're not like, this is clearly a selfish thing on their end and want as many views as possible. And this, I mean, I don't blame him. The storyline would have been great if he found love that way. Like, you know, it would have been, would have sold a bunch of tickets or whatever they're trying to sell so yeah. but uh, well, you know it's like it's so funny because i knew exactly what buttons push with me like i'm not one to say no it's an opportunity i love saying yes to everything and i'm a big risk taker but um oh it was scary it was scary that's so funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll have to message and be like hey man I just, <laughs> I just found something well you know what's hilarious is uh we had a like a helicopter for the ingenuity launch for the um, helicopter with NASA on Mars, the first um, the first flight on another planet, and we had like a a, um, a like a private uh, Q and A with with the crew, and he was on the call, and I, I so badly wanted to be like, oh hey, like <laughs> we almost met, <laughs> but we didn't. Um, but yeah, I don't think the NASA people would be too impressed with that, so I. I kept my mouth shut. Yeah, not the right platform for that, probably. <laughs> no, not the right platform. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we can DM about this later, but I just want to say hi. <laughs> That's I'm not, crazy. I'm not like a, I'm not a fangirl. I just, I think it would have been cool to, to I'm genuinely interested in, in his career, but 
aside from that. I think it's, it wasn't meant to be. How did you get that? Um, how did you get the opportunity with the NASA and the rover? It was just a DM on Instagram. I thought it was the scam, um, much like the producer on Bachelor. I don't know why these things happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely thought it was a prank, uh, but it wasn't. And I got um, an email from NASA.gov, and that was very thrilling. That's incredible. Yeah, I would have thought that was a prank, too. It's like, why does NASA want me <laughs> to come right? in right now? <laughs> yeah, DMing NASA, something yeah. I never thought would happen. No, it's like, you mean, this is NASA NASA, like real NASA, or is this like a fake NASA? <laughs> yeah, have you been hacked? Yeah, that's crazy. What was that experience like? It was really neat. It was, um, I think there were about 12 of us, and um, they referred to us as like aviation influencers, which I, I don't consider myself to be an I don't know. You probably feel the same way. There's a weird, I feel weird about being called a aviation, like Instagram or influencer. Yeah, kind of, absolutely. That yeah. life is not for me. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, I, I didn't ask for this. It just sort of happened accidentally, but, um, um, but yeah, it was really neat to sort of, you just type in your questions and then their team answered, answered them. And, um, yeah, it was really neat. I asked how they were going to prevent dynamic rollover with the helicopter um, because it's autonomous. And um, the answer I got back was so complex. I just sort of smiled and nodded, but I really didn't Understand. digest anything yeah. of she said. <laughs> yeah, it was way over my way over my head. I feel like they're used to that, though, so it's all good. I, yeah, probably. Yeah, they're used to being the smartest people in the room. They probably do it on purpose to try to make sure that everyone knows that they're the smartest people in the room. Right. I would too if I was that smart. Yeah. It's a sick game they play. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh how so coming back a little bit to kind of flying and stuff and, and seeing from where you progressed the beginning until now. Uh did you ever think you'd get to where you are now? Did you have any I know you've had kind of a, a different journey to getting where you are now. You've had a lot of obstacles to overcome, personal and just just life in general and, and a lot of cool opportunities that popped up as well but seeing from where you progressed from the beginning of your flight training till now ha, how kind of just talk about how it's been any different than what you thought or if it's been a straight a to point b um experience definitely not a point a to point b experience it's been a roller coaster there's been so many times when i've struggled with a concept or just struggled with what like I'll be at a fork in the road and not sure which way to go and um, I think not having my dad um, here on this journey that we both started out in the beginning together that's been probably the toughest thing for me um I've grown so much as a person being a pilot has really allowed me to come out of my shell and um I've accomplished so many things that I never thought I'd be capable of and it's 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 been really rewarding I I I don't think I ever saw myself here um, but I knew when I, I promised my dad that I would finish it off. And I think I never really had a choice to, to not do that. Cause when I made a promise to him, I knew I was going to see it through. So I think, um, yeah, I think I'm exactly where I needed to be, but the path to getting here was a lot more difficult than I ever expected. For, for the opportunity right now, someone listening to this, they're going through a similar opportunity you have, maybe their father, their mother, or just having a loved one that's either sick or has passed. What kind of tips would you give to them to continue on? Because I'm sure there's many days that are harder than others, and some days are easier than others. But how do you, how do you just power through? How did you kind of mentally make sure you were ready for every single flight? 
Yeah, you know, something that really helps me is I always remember I'm an extension of my dad and he was an incredible pilot. And I don't know if I'll ever be a fraction of the pilot he was. He was an F-5 fighter pilot um, to begin with, and he was a damn good one. And I think, you know, hearing people, his colleagues, and um, just the other day, actually, I had someone come up to me because I have his name written on the side of my plane. And someone came up and said, hey, you know, your dad was my instructor in the military. And um, he was such a humble and talented man. And I think those words really keep me going because you're an extension of your parents. And I think um, in a lot of ways, I'm continuing his legacy. And something I really want to do is I want to set up a scholarship fund one day when I've got a career and um, I'm actually employed. <laughs> I would really like to, to set up a scholarship fund in his name to sort of keep his legacy going. Um, so, yeah, that's what keeps me going. I think it's really important to just remember that the best way to honor your parents is to do the best they can. and. Um, yeah, volunteer and be a better person and participate, help the community give back. That's that's what keeps me going. I love it. I really, I really do. And I think that'd be really cool to, to see that scholarship come to fruition and, and make that happen. I, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I agree. He um, he came from, well, he, he didn't come from money. He definitely had to join the military. That was the only way he could get his flying hours done. So I think that's something that he would have loved to to do is to give give back to someone who's also struggling to to get their training funded. Have you ever had any flights where you felt like he was right there, or this moment was with him watching over you? Uh, the reason why I ask is when I was flying for freight, I, we had a colleague and a good friend of mine who died in a car crash, and I couldn't go to his funeral. But we had the flight that I had to do that day. Like I just had this overwhelming feeling that that he was there and that like just this overwhelming peace for this one flight. And I didn't know if you had a similar experience. And I, I just talked to another friend of mine who had a similar situation and she said that she had the same kind of flight. And I didn't know if you had a similar experience at all. You know, that's so crazy that you say that because um, sometimes I feel weird saying it. And I, I know a lot of times I'm tempted to be like, oh, it's just a coincidence. But every time I've ever completed a big milestone in my training or um, most recently, for my uh, last CPL requirement, I did my night rating. When I was flying back, I turned the corner, the last stretch, to to go home from the city. And there was this beautiful rainbow. And I just got really emotional about it because I'm like flying along and then there's this rainbow. And I just knew that, um, you know, it was too much of a coincidence to not be assigned. So I had to take a little video of it because I just thought it was so crazy. And sometimes it'll be the most amazing sunset I've ever seen after completing something so um i think in those senses yes I, I feel like he's there with me when i'm flying first time i took my mom up flying there was the most insane golden sunset i've ever seen so um it's it can't be a coincidence oh i agree and i got goosebumps when he said that just i don't know if it's because i've experienced something that's similar or what but it was it was the sunset and he was a, a big clemson tiger fan which is a college down here with sports and i hate clemson so we always had this like bickering rivalry and they just won the national championship. They beat my team in a, in a game. And when he did pass that day when I got to fly, it was like you said, it was the craziest yeah. sunset I've ever seen in my life. And it was legit like the crimson, or not crimson, it was the Clemson colors. that It just felt so crazy. It was like purple and it was orange and it was just insane. And I've never experienced anything like that before. So I definitely think that's a thing. Mike gets some crap for saying that, but I definitely think that 
that it, it is real and there's definitely it is just, real. Yeah, a crazy moment. Uh, but I appreciate you saying that because I know it's kind of like you feel weird saying that and, and coming out, but it's definitely something I think is true. And if anyone else has had that experience, I'd love to know it as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. for sure. I think, yeah. So right now, um, looking kind of forward and you said airlines and that's kind of your goal. Uh, could you see anything else, uh, anything else that's kind of drawing your attention or is it really kind of following your dad's footsteps and flying the 787 one day and giving back to Hope Air? Yeah, that's, um, well, that's the dream, but of course the best laid plans. <laughs> so I'm trying not to plan too much. I'm trying to have an open mind with everything. That's the incredible thing about um, aviation is that there's so many different avenues that you can, that you can take as I've since learned, but um yeah, I'm, I'm just going to have an open mind. So I'll, I'll take whatever comes my way. I can't, it's not really a market to be picky right now. So no, <laughs> um, it will be though year. future in the future. I think it will be, there's going to be a, a big need. And I know that aviation in Canada has been really rough and it's just, yes. uh, it hasn't rebounded as fast as say the, the United States or another, or some other countries, but it will come back. And I think you guys finally got your first kind of um, government bond or bailout, correct? A couple of weeks ago, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. step in the right yep. direction. It should be happening soon for you guys. I really hope so. That's what I'm hoping as well. I mean, aviation's always been cyclical. My dad used to tell me that all the time too, because he'd been laid off early on his career. And then um, near the end of his career, obviously his career ended before he retired, but he was um, at the peak. Like he was living his dream he was a 77 captain like that was his his whole goal and so i think you know you just gotta stick it out and then you'll you'll get there eventually definitely agree definitely yeah. agree and talk a little bit about this last year with kind of the outlook of aviation this is kind of your first experience of the downturn i'm sure when you've seen aviation everyone's just talked about how great it is and it's never going to go bad has this deterred you at all from from being a pilot or is it just kind of Made you put your head down and kind of realize, yeah, my dad was right. This is a crazy career and it's not always going to be perfect. Yeah, I think I'm really lucky with where I am. I feel for people who were, you know, just starting out or just, you know, in the middle of their careers. Um, I'm really lucky in that I had the opportunity to do more training and, you know, be kind of beef up my resume and, and make myself a better pilot and work on those skills because um, I'm just getting started, really. And I think, um, yeah, I think, I think that's all you can really do in these circumstances is work on yourself and, you know, go and get that float rating or go and get that tail wheel endorsement, you know, make yourself a better pilot. Use this time to do those things that you didn't have time before to do. Um, so that's, that's sort of, that's what I would say about the pandemic. Obviously it's tough times for everyone, but, um, you got to make the most of it. Absolutely. And I have a, a rapid fire question or a rapid fire section for you. If you're ready for it, it's just aviation oh themed questions and you answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Hit me. What's your favorite airplane of all time ever? 787. What about a corporate jet or just a corporate Oof. plane in general? I love golf streams. What about a small piston airplane? Oh, I, I gotta say one to me too. What's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Mm. Oh, I'm going to step on some toes. Um, ugliest airplane I've ever seen. Just take it. All good. If you don't have one, that's all good too. I, I think all planes are beautiful. Can I say that? You can say that. That works. Okay. <laughs> What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, radials. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. 
Who's one person in the industry that you would like to meet most? It could be uh, someone on Instagram. It could be like Amelia Earhart. It could be anyone uh, in the past or future. Or not future. See, right Amelia now. Earhart is cliche. So I don't want to say <laughs> Amelia Earhart because that's very cliche, although she does look pretty sick. Um, okay, probably Michelle Curran. All right, cool. Yeah, she's, she's a pilot with the Thunderbirds. That would be cool. Yeah, she's pretty sick. Uh, let's see. What is the hardest flight you've ever flown? Hardest flight I've ever flown? My first solo. What's your favorite flight you've ever had? My first solo. Favorite airport to land at? Squamish, CYSE. What is your least favorite airport to land at? Abbotsford mm, International. Let's say you are making con- a connection. You're, you're traveling somewhere in Canada or somewhere else. It, yeah, it doesn't have to be recently. It could be a long time ago. But you have like 25 minutes or 30 minutes to get some food. What's your go-to airplane or airport food? Burgers and fries. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities? Mountains every time. Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. Favorite airline? If it's not Boeing, I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite airline paint scheme? Pink and white. Pink and white? I love it. Uh, would you rather fly and your 172 would you rather fly as many short legs as you can in one day or the longest flight you can possibly do? I'll pick the short legs in the 172. What is the biggest win of your career so far? Um, biggest win in my career. Probably getting my commercial because that was, that was always the, the, the goal. That's a good one. Definitely yeah. a good one. <laughs> I know it's still early in your career, but yeah, it's very important to kind of just recognize your wins and, and just take them as they go, you know? Yeah, I think if I could tell my dad one thing, I think it would be that I got my commercial license. Absolutely. And the last one is what's your favorite airline to fly on? Air Canada. Gotta give it to your hometown team or your home team, right? Yeah. <laughs> Although they do lose your baggage, but I, I love them. <laughs> like Air Canada, please hire me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, please hire. <laughs> only to fly the 787, though. <laughs> yeah, only to yeah. fly the 787. Thank you. Well, Alexis, I have one more question for you, and it's kind of a three-part question, or you have three answers. But someone listening to this kind of feels inspired, or they've gone through similar things that you have, and and they just love your story, and they 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 look up to you, whatever it may be, but they need some help. What are kind of three tips uh, you would tell someone that's coming up into this career right now, starting flying, or starting the commercial, or looking to buy a plane, or kind of just anything? Just three tips of advice that you would give someone that wants to start right now. My best piece of advice would be don't let where you are now and where you want to go keep you from moving forward. I think that's really important to keep in mind when you're in aviation. Um, it's such a long journey and there's so many times when you can feel discouraged and feel like it's taking forever, but don't let how long something's going to take keep you from, from finishing it because that time's going to pass anyways. So you might as well spend that time reaching towards your dream. I love it. Alexis, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you spending the time. 
uh, being open and kind of talking about your journey. Um, I look forward to seeing Hope Air continue to be a part of your life and see what you can do with that. And I look forward to seeing you progress in your commercial aviation career and hopefully fly the 787 one day and uh, keep making your dad proud. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated this. And this is uh, my first podcast. So That's awesome. Appreciate you coming on and being candid and being open. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. And that is a wrap of episode 178 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast today. If you like this episode, please check out Alexis on Instagram, pilot.alexis, pilot the pilot on Instagram, and Pilot's Coffee. Make sure you follow by check it out. The best coffee ever. Oshkosh is around the corner. I hope all of you will be there. There'll be some announcements coming soon about meet and greets and possible podcasts at the AOPA tent. I'm trying to set that up. You know who Kevin is from AOPA. Send him emails and badger him and get him to like make this happen. Aviation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.